your your PhD thesis it was um, discussing a Zen approach. Mm. Well, what did you mean by that? It's actually a reading procedure. You know, it's how to read fiction, and it's it's actually the way I read fiction. I've always read things differently from other people, I suppose, because I always saw more than other people. I never, I never wondered why. You know, I, I was always amazed that other people didn't see what I, I saw. I had absolutely no theory of mind at all. I just thought everyone thought like me. So it surprised me that they didn't see these things that I saw. But after I had finished my novel, I was promoting my first novel. I was promoting it, of course. And you know, going to universities to talk about it, to do readings and things like that. And there at that university, this was mid 1990s. They'd be talking about post-colonial theory and post-modernism and all these things. And I thought, wow! I thought the study of literature has moved on since I went to university. I've got to go and find out about this. So I went to University Kebangsaan, that's our national university. And I asked the lecturers there. I said, "Do you think they would, you would allow? Would you allow me to go and do a master's?" They say, "In what?" I said, "Well, in you know, literary theory and Malaysian literature in English and all that. Of course, it has to be in English because my Malay is not good enough." And I, they asked me then if I would like to do an an exam course. Or a thesis course, you know. At the end of the course, do I write an exam or do I write a thesis? And I thought, oh my goodness, you know, another exam, you know. At that time, I was nearly sixty, and I'm no exam for me. I write a thesis. So I, my supervisor at that time, then thinking like a lot of people do in a very stereotypical way, said she was very keen on um, helping. Postgraduate students develop reading、uh, literary theories that are not based on Western philosophies but Asian philosophies. So, like Islamic philosophy, you know, from there can you develop a literary theory? So she said to me, "You can do one based on Buddhist Buddhism, can't you?" And I thought, "Oh, of course I can," you know, not realizing that I actually knew next to nothing about. Buddhism, of course, you take for granted. Ah,、oh, Buddhism, you know, Buddha and so on, and so. On. But I ended up writing my master's proposal based on that. And when I had done that, when I had proposed this, and to this panel of people, you know, who were there, they said, "Look," they said, "Don't do this as a master's. This is not a master's thesis. This is a PhD thesis." <laughs> so they offered. They offered. Me the chance to do a PhD without having to do a master's. Of course, it'd be quite a gamble because if I didn't get my PhD, I would also not get a master's, right? <laughs> I said, well, why not? You know, be hung for a sheep as for a lamb. So I said, yeah, let's do it. You know, and so I did. Now then, I found that one of the problems in Malaysia is that people didn't know how to read. Novels. They would take something and they would say, "Oh, this is," and then they would take a post-colonial theory to it, a feminist theory to it, and they will read it from a feminist point of view or from a post-colonial point of view or whatever. But of course, when you do that, you miss out a lot of what the book is 
really about. So they would do ridiculous things like they would read Joseph Conrad from a post-colonial point of view and take his book apart. And then they will miss, they will, because they're so busy trying to prove that Joseph Conrad was pro-colonialism, that they miss all the anti-colonial things in his in his books. He was extremely critical. So they bring they bring themselves exactly. into. And I thought, and then reading the the business of reading and doing literary criticism becomes becomes war. You know, it becomes it becomes a battle. Everything becomes very warlike. Meaning, you are going into the book with already preset exactly. conditions. So that that's the conflict. You know, you're in conflict, and you're stuck in that conflict because you take with you all that the tools of conflict. So I thought that what we need in Malaysia, because we are an, we are multi-ethnic country, is we need to have a different way of reading, a way of reading that will allow us to understand other people's ethnicities. Where are they coming from? And so I use Buddhist philosophy to work out a method. That's why it's a Zen base. So basically, what you're saying is, prior to this challenge of taking on a PhD, you do not hold any Buddhist inclination. Well, you know, I was given a book called The Hindu View of Life at the age of 16, right? So that set me on a path to go and 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 I was given copy of the Quran. So I was put on a path from an early age to explore all kinds of religions and thought systems and so on. And of course, Buddhism was very attractive to me because. Oh, I had a friend who who would take me to Buddhist uh, meetings, and I wasn't like passionate or anything. It was just another thing to uh, occupy myself with. But when I started on my PhD, working on the thesis, trying to work out something, I became fascinated by it because you know it is not a religion at all. Buddhism is not a religion in the normal sense. It's a philosophy, and the best part of it is that it is. An epistemology. It's not a moral. It's not really a moral philosophy. It's an epistemological philosophy. How do we understand things? So it's an exploration of how your mind works, what consciousness is, and all that. And how do we understand things? So it was. It was just right for the kind of thesis that I was doing to do, which was a method of how do you understand something. When you read it, just like they say, Buddhism is a, a way of life. So the approach, the way of seeing things, so that you see a little bit more than the next person, you see deeper. That's how I understand it. So I I use some of the tools that are found in Buddhist philosophy to use for reading fiction, and because every re- reading experience begins as an experience of conflict because you when you read you're encountering a different person and that person will not always agree with you there's always a sense of conflict i mean i've had people come and tell me oh you mustn't read uh nabokov's uh, you know the one where he's uh, where where it's humbert humbert lolita 
Nabokov's Lolita. Don't read it because it's it's uh, it's about pedophilia. Of course, it's about pedophilia, but it's not it's not pornography. Of course, you are supposed to feel conflicted. Of course, you're supposed to feel uncomfortable with the book. But that's what reading is about. That's what making friends is about. So um, that's why my thesis is called "From Conflict to Insight." It's a it's a procedure that takes you from the initial conflict. To a point where you begin to develop insights into what that book is about, because the question we must really ask as readers is not why didn't the writer do this that, but what we should be asking is why did this writer do it this way and not any other way? And that is a question you need to start with in order to to get deeper insights in, into the, the the book that you're reading yeah, from the reading experience so that's what my thesis is about so i wasn't i'm i'm still not a buddhist i mean okay okay i am a member i'm a live member of the vihara in buddhism but that is a different thing altogether it's because when an uncle of mine died my father's brother i went to the the wake and for the first time i saw a buddhist buddhist wake There were these Buddhist monks from the Theravada, because my uncle, my family, being from the north, they would have, if they had any religion at all, it would be Theravada Buddhism, like the Thai. So there were these monks. They were sitting there, two of them, I think, and they were chanting from their sutra. So I saw this this wake, and I thought it was so beautiful because there were two these two monks. They were chanting their sutras, and uh, what they had. They had put on the coffin. Was it my uncle died or my aunt? My aunt's death. They they had put on the on the coffin a glass of water with a white flower on it, a white rose. They tied a string to the rose stem, and that string went round to all the children. So wrapped around their their fingers, and then it and then the the monk would hold this string and they would chant. And I thought, wonderful! That's a beautiful ceremony. I thought I didn't know what the significance of it was. I still don't know. I've, I've got to find out actually why a white rose, why the string. But it was a lot better than Chinese funerals I had seen with the clashing of cymbals and drums and all that and the noise. And I thought, yeah. I said, when I die, that's what I want. So I went and I signed up. To be a life member of the Vihara. Is it Tibetan? No, no, Sri Lankan. Mm, okay, that figures. Mr. V K Arumugam must be smiling. Uh, no, 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 no. The Vihara thing, the Theravada thing, was from a, a family friend who was very much into it. Went to the monastery. It, you know, they do this. Buddhist young boys, yeah, they will go at various times in their life. They will go to the to the monastery. To the Vihara, and they will meditate and so on for like three months. They will become little monks for about three months, and then they come out again. So that was from an, a family friend who got me involved in the in the philosophy of it because it's all very it's all logic, and to me, reason and logic appeals a great deal. So I always found Buddhism appealing, shall we say? It doesn't make me. Uh, I I don't go to the Temple and pray and all that kind of thing. That all that is kind of the you know, outside my scope of experience. I I don't belong in that field. But it's got nothing to do with Mr. V K Arumugam because he was a Hindu. 